Well, we've been on a summer journey together this summer. Uh, we have been talking this summer through the parables, through some of the parables, the stories that Jesus told. Uh, just a reminder, parables have purpose. Jesus didn't just teach in parables because it was fun or because it was easy. Uh, Jesus taught in parables. Parable in the Greek language literally means to come alongside. He taught in parables so that he could come alongside and kind of bring some truth in a way that would allow people to grab it and grab it well. But parables always had purpose. There was not a parable that Jesus spoke that did not have a purpose. Parables have a purpose. They were always purposeful. They were always called people to a better life, to a better way. They always aimed at the transformation in the life of the hearer. And so far, we've looked at, at five parables so far. We've looked at the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, and we see the call to humility. The, the Pharisee gets up and he says, hey, thank God I'm not like those people. And the tax collector says, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, he's the one that walks away justified. It's a call to humility. It's a call to, to be humble in our lives. Well, next week we look at the parable of the wise and the foolish builder and the call to obedience. The, and this parable, Jesus says, uh, you know, there's the wise man built his house on the rock. The foolish man built his house on the sand. But what is it that builds his house on the rock? It's the person who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. It's a call to obedience. We looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan and a call to love, a call to, to be the neighbor, not just to say, who is my neighbor, but to, to actually be the neighbor. All right, we looked at some kingdom parables and looked at what it, called to, what it looked like to this call to be a kingdom participant. And last week we looked at uh, really a, a, one of the harder scriptures to talk about in, in, in scripture, this parable of the tower, the parable of the king going to war, that really Jesus asking people to, to count the cost of discipleship. Remember, unless you hate your family, pick up your cross, give up everything, you can't be my disciple. This is what Jesus says. Unless we, our love for God dwarfs the love for everyone else. Our love for God is so supreme. We, we pick up our cross. We, we carry our cross. And if we can't, we can't be a disciple. But this is what it is to be a disciple. We need to count the cost of discipleship. This week we're going to look at another parable in the book of Luke. Uh, as another one that is... Uh, Somewhat confusing in some ways. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11. Uh, Luke chapter 11, if you want to go there with me. Uh, I neglected to write down the page in the Pew Bible. I apologize if you need that. But if you do need a Bible, uh, take the Pew Bible. That is now your Bible. That is yours to keep. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 11. Again, I got a lot of sticky notes in my Bible, so we're going to be all over the place. We're going to be in Luke 11 to start with here as we talk about this parable that Jesus told. And actually, this passage is going to sound a little bit familiar. We, we know this passage. But oftentimes when we read this passage, we stop reading at the part that we know. And we don't really read on. We just kind of stop. But at the end of this, Jesus tells, really, he tells a story. He tells a parable. So let's read this together. Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 1. And here's what he says. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray... Say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. 
A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, I love that phrase. It's different in some different translations, but I like this one. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. We'll stop right there this morning. This passage in Luke, we know this prayer. We know the Lord's Prayer. We find it in a couple different places. This one is not actually the one that we normally read because it's shorter. Uh, you'll notice that some of the pieces are missing. Uh, the one that we recite, the one that we talk about. You know, it just says, Father, not our Father in heaven. It just says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And notice he leaves out. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He just says, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. So we have these, these two different passages, two different contexts. A lot of people try to say these were the same teaching by Jesus. This is not the same teaching. The first one is in Matthew chapter 6. I don't know chronologically, but the first one that we read about and we know is in Matthew chapter 6. The first one you think about when you think about the Lord's Prayer is in Matthew chapter 6 as part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a teaching from Jesus to a large group of people on a mountain. Get to Luke chapter 11. Jesus has just been praying by himself. And his disciples ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. These are two very different contexts, which in part can explain for the discrepancies, right? He's, he, I think Jesus maybe didn't feel like he had to fill in those other parts to his disciples. They've heard the other one. This is kind of a repeat. You know, this is, uh, I've, I've taught you this before. You should know this. It's pretty fascinating, really, though. There aren't many times when the disciples just simply ask how. We see a lot of interactions between Jesus and the disciples, not many of them are the disciples asking how. How do we do this? There is one other one by my account in Scripture. The disciples are having a hard time getting a demon out of someone. And they have to go to Jesus and they ask, why can't, this, why, why can't we do this? And Jesus says, this, this one can only be done in fasting and prayer. They have to ask how. You got to think about this. We don't have any other recordings in Scripture of the disciples asking Jesus how to do something, but they see Jesus pray. They see the relationship that he has with his Father, and they see him come out of this prayer time, and they just have to ask, teach us how to pray. How are you doing what you're doing? Teach us how to pray. They want to know how to pray. And I think Luke actually pairs this prayer down. We, we know and love the prayer in Matthew chapter 6, but... He just really kind of just goes over the Lord's Prayer. Father. And he really, what he does is he makes this prayer more personal for the disciples. It's not our Father who art in heaven. It's just Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who, forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. 
Now, we've talked about sort of the Lord's Prayer and just the foundation that it builds for us in prayer. But I just, just real quickly, I mean, Jesus is basically saying, like, when you go to God, He is your Father. Hallowed be your name. We come to God with a worshipful heart. We, we come to prayer with a heart full of worship and full of gratitude. Your name is great. Give us each day. Oh, your kingdom come. We, we, we seek God's priorities over our own priorities. A lot of times when we pray, we pray for our priorities. God, I need this, I need this, I need this. God, would you turn the light green? Would you do all this? You know, we have these prayers that are just for us. But we, he says, pray for, pray for God's priorities. Give us each day our daily bread. We seek God's provision for our needs. Forgive us our sins. We seek God's forgiveness for our sins. And lead us not into temptation. We pray for God's power to, to bring us through temptation. All right, we have this foundation for prayer that, that Jesus kind of gives his disciples here. But this isn't enough. This isn't the end of the, of the story here for Jesus. He tells, tells a story. And really the story goes a different place than Matthew goes. In the book of Matthew, after Jesus talks about the Lord's Prayer, we have Jesus actually kind of hone in on the forgiveness piece. For if you forgive others, then you will be forgiven. But if you do not forgive others, then you will not be forgiven. This isn't where he leads the disciples, though. He goes somewhere else with the disciples. He tells a story to the disciples. And here's this story. Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one on the inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. I want to dive into just a little bit of the context of this story here. I want to take us all the way back to first century Palestine. Because there's some things in this story that we just need to understand. There is not a, a stockpile of food that you keep in first century Palestine. There's no, you don't have a pantry. There's no grocery stores to go to, right? There, there's just not the way it is. You have enough for the day and you go get enough for the next day. And this is the way it is. It's still like this a lot of ways in the world, but not here, obviously. So this guy has somebody to come, who comes and visits him late at night. Hospitality is a huge deal in first century Palestine. Not only is it sort of a, a, social, uh, a social duty, it is a religious duty as well, that if someone comes to your house, you are to be hospitable. You're to offer them food. You're to offer them water. You're to feed them and take care of them and house them if they come. And so when this guy comes in at midnight, his friend comes in at midnight, there's no like late night pizza deliveries. There's no Taco Bells open. There's none of this stuff that he can just say, hey, let me go grab us some food real quick. He's empty handed. And so he really has two options. Option one, I can be a bad friend. <laughs> I could be a poor friend. I can have this guy come over and I can not give him anything. Option two, I could be a bad neighbor. <laughs> and I could go and I could knock on my neighbor's door because I know he's got what I need and he can give me the bread and then I can be a good friend and a good host and I can, I can be hospitable to my friend. Obviously, we know what happens. He chooses to be the poor neighbor, not to be the poor friend or the poor host. So he goes over to his friend's house, and he knocks on the door. And just on his face, this, is, this seems okay. This doesn't seem unusual. But until you think about the structure of the housing in first century Palestine, there's not multi-room homes here. This is a, a one-room one room place. 
So this guy, he says he's got, his, my children and I are in bed. Where do you think his children and I, are, children and him are in bed? They are in the room. So they get a knock on the door, and guess what happens? Every eye opens. Have you ever been in close quarters trying to sleep with people? Uh, just, you got your whole family in one room, you've got your whole family, and, and a noise, you're afraid to get up and go to the bathroom because you don't want to wake anybody up, right? This is, this is the way it is, right? They have one room, everybody's sleeping in there, and he has the audacity, the scripture says, the shameless audacity to knock on this man's door and to ask him for bread. Now put yourself in this situation, and you're the guy in the house. All of a sudden, your friend from down the street starts banging on your door, and I love, I love that he starts his address after he knocks the door with the word friend. <laughs> friend. <laughs> so we were, we were, until right now, right? We, we were friends. We were, we were good until this moment right now when you just knocked on my door at midnight because you didn't have bread. He says, friend, I'm not getting up. I'm, I'm not going to get you up and make you anything, man. Just go home. Go to bed. I'm not going to do this. But Jesus says this guy will get up and he will get him something, not because he's his friend, but because of his boldness, his shameless audacity, Jesus says. What does that even mean? This parable is an interesting one. And honestly, theologians have, have fought about this scripture for a long time. Most parables, you can, you can see two people in. Most parables that you read, some of the ones that we've read don't fit this category, but most parables that you read, someone in the story is you. Someone in the story is God. So here's where it gets interesting. Jesus says, suppose you. So we know we are the guy knocking. But if, that, if God is the other one, then Jesus is basically saying God is like this, this grumpy guy who doesn't want to get up in the middle of the night when you knock on the door. He's like, God is, God is he, he's not going to do it because he loves you. He's not going to do it because he's your friend. But because you just keep bugging him, he's going to get up and give you what you need. There's some, obviously some problems here, right? There's some problems with that theology. There's some problems here. But what I, what I keep coming back to, and that's what I struggled with this week. I was thinking about what to preach, and I was like, am I, just, am I really going to get up there and say that God is just going to, if you just keep bugging God, he's going to do it. <laughs> if you just, just do it enough. And it's not because he loves you. It's not because he cares for you. It's just because you were shamelessly audacious, and you just kept on banging at the door. I feel like that's not a great sermon. <laughs> but I was thinking about this story, and I just keep coming back to this phrase, because of your shameless audacity. Some other scriptures, some other uh, uh, translations say, because of the man's boldness, or because of the man's persistence. I really like this NIV version that says, because of your shameless audacity. And I just... I want to do what Jesus is asking his disciples to do here. He's asking his disciples to put themselves in that man's shoes. Suppose you. Suppose you have a friend come over. And he comes to you at midnight. Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. I want to think about what is Jesus saying as he's asking us to suppose that we are that guy. 
specifically in terms of this shameless audacity that Jesus is talking about here. Because of the shameless audacity, I want to just think together about this guy and that we and the guy that we are and think about why he did what he did and what he must have thought about the guy that he was going to see in order to be able to be shamelessly audacious and go knock on this door. What must he have thought about the guy that he was going to knock on the door from? What did he know to be able to ask what he asked with a shameless audacity? And I would say probably he knew a few things about this guy about the guy inside the house who was asleep with his kids. First thing I think he knew, he knew he was able. He knew that he was able. He knew that he could help. Otherwise, he wouldn't have knocked. He wouldn't have done it. I was, uh, this, I was on sabbatical in January, and I was able to go on a trip with my grandpa. Uh, my grandpa lives in Oklahoma. He snowbirds out here with my mom in Auburn, and uh, he is not very good at the snowboarding part, right? Because we went back in the middle of a snowstorm. Uh, but we, we flew back, we got on the runway in the middle of a snowstorm, and I was trying to get a ride back to his house. Now, middle of a snowstorm in Oklahoma City, there's no taxis going, there's no Ubers going, there's no lifts going. And so we landed. I turned on my phone, and I'm looking on every rideshare app that I can to just get us a ride home. There's no one. And it would cost like $200 for an Uber at this point. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is not going to happen. So what, what do I do? I think of all the people that I know in Oklahoma City, which is not very many, if you're wondering. <laughs> I think of some of my cousins. I don't think they're going to get out. I call my grandpa, who I don't want to get out. My, gra- my other grandpa also lives in Oklahoma City, very confused. I say, Grandpa, hey, do you know, and uh, just, just for reference, this is about 1 a.m., so we're talking past midnight here. Grandpa, do you know anyone with a truck? I don't want you to come get us. We're stuck at the airport, but do you know anyone with a truck that you could call at 1 in the morning to come and get us? And my grandpa just begins to rack his mind. I don't, I don't think I know anybody with a truck. So we're kind of stuck. But I want you to see this. When I, when I called my grandpa, what I was asking him to do, I was asking him to be the us in this story. I got a friend coming in town, and they can't get home from the airport. Do you know anybody that you can knock on their door? Why didn't he? I want to ask you this question. Why didn't my grandpa call anybody with a truck or call anybody that he thought could do it? Because he didn't think they would be able to. But in the story, Jesus says, suppose you have this friend. He comes over with food. What do you do? You walk over to your neighbor's house. Why would you do that? Because you know he's able to do it. You know he's able to do it. And and scripture is really clear that God is able when we go to him in prayer. That we can ask him whatever, and God is able. You go back to Psalm 50, uh, and Psalm 50, uh, let me get there real quick. Psalm 50, God says this, starting at verse 7. He says, listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are never before me. And then he says this, I have no need for a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. 
For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world is mine, and all that is in it. I don't need anything, because I have it. And so when we go to prayer, when we, when we, if we think about this, remember, disciples are asking Jesus how to pray, and Jesus tells this story. So we can say, all right, when I'm in prayer, and I'm in need, this God that I pray to is able. He has what I need. He, has, he, he is able to come through, and he is in control. Not only is he able to, he, he can do something about it. He has the control. He has the ability to do something. I love Job. You know, I love the story of Job. And in Job chapter 42, at the very end, after Job went through all that stuff, here's what Job says in chapter 42, verse 2. He says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now, you've got to think about this. What has Job just gone through? Job has just been praying and praying for things to not go the way that they are going. And things kept going the way that they were going. But even at the end of that, he knows that the God that he is praying to is able. And I think in this story, in Luke chapter 11, there's one thing that we know for sure, that the us in the story, this man who has a friend come over and needs to, needs to be hospitable towards him, he knows that the person he is going to knock on is able. Here's another thing he knows. He knows that this guy who's going to knock on the door is approachable. Regardless of what the guy on the inside of the house thinks, the guy on the outside, us, we think that guy's approachable. How do I know? Because we approached him. At midnight, in the middle of the night, there are people that you would not knock on the door of. Not this guy. This guy's approachable. Again, regardless of what the guy on the inside thinks, this guy on the inside can be, a, can be a grump all he wants, but we think from the outside, this guy is approachable. I can go to him. He's not going to care if I bother him. And I want you just to hear this from me this morning. We are never, ever bothering God in prayer. You're never, ever bothering God in prayer. God invites him to bother him anytime. Anytime we can go and we can bother him. That is what this story is telling us. It is never too late to come before God. And it is never too early to come before God. I know many of you have woken up in that little in-between time, like the 2 a.m., 3 a.m., depending on, on who you are. That's either early or it's late, right? Well, it's one of those two. It is never too early. It is never too late to go to God. Not only is it never too early, never too late, there is nothing too small to bring God. You know, I love the Old Testament. Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 6. I love this, this prayer that Nehemiah prays in, in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 9. He literally just prays for strength in his hands. And he gets it. I, I just pray these ten, ten fingers, or if you're my son or daughter, eight fingers and two thumbs. Pray that these would just work. Would you strengthen my hands? Would you, would you strengthen me? And there's nothing too big. Nothing too small, nothing too big. Scripture's clear. We need to pray for mountains to be moved. And if we have the faith of a mustard seed, it, that mountain will move. There's nothing too big to pray for. I have a question for you today. Is there anything in your life that if you told the person next to you what you were praying for, they would just be like, hey, you are out of your mind. 
Because there needs to be. I've got some things. I'm sure you have some things too, but just some, some big, just huge things that we pray for. I know God delights in those things. God is approachable. He, he does not need you to come at a certain time. He does not need to be in a certain mood for you to come. Right? He is just available for you. Whenever you come to pray, he is available. He is approachable. And lastly, I think he is active. Isaiah says that God does not sleep, nor does he slumber. And I think sometimes we know, we can cognitively realize that God is not sleeping. But man, it sure feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? We could pray, and we can pray, and we can pray, and it just feels like I'm not getting an answer, God. You must be asleep. You must just not be listening to me. You must not really care about me. But I know this, the God that we pray to is active. God is not asleep. He is right there waiting for, to hear from you. God is active, he is approachable, and God is able. But you know what I, I find most fascinating about this, these, this story that Jesus tells? Is that this guy, the us, the us in the story, he's not even asking for himself. He's asking for someone else. Hey, I had a friend come over, and I don't have any food. Can you help me? I think it's just such a, such a powerful reminder that our prayers should not just be about us. We need to be interceding for those around us. And we need to go to God, even when we're awake late or early, wherever you may think of that. We need to just go to prayer, go to bat for people who need a touch, who need something. That's why we do what we do every single Sunday morning with this missions moment. We pray for people around the world who just need a touch from God. And I hope that, this, this, that what we do here on Sunday mornings doesn't stop here on Sunday mornings, that you continue to pray for those who just need a touch from God. Interceding. But I love this. If, if, if we thought that this, that this uh, grumpy guy in the house was just an old grump, if you think of, I don't, I don't want to think of God as this old, old grump in the house, but here's why. Because you keep reading, and it says, So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find it. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one, to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So here's what I want you to think about this week. I want you to think about the way that you pray. And not just the, the place, the time, that's important too. But I want you to think about this. When was the last time that you were shamelessly audacious in your prayers? When was the last time you were, you were bold in your prayers? There's a book called The Circle Maker by uh, Mark Batterson. And his, I don't, his tagline is basically this. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. When was the last time that you were shamelessly audacious in your prayers? 
God is not going to get upset with your prayers. He's not going to get mad at you for coming to him at midnight, knocking on the door. He's not going to get mad at you for continuing to bother him. (laughs) You cannot bother God. But when was the last time you were really bold? When was the last time you, you asked for something or you prayed in a way that would make someone, if you said it out loud, go, are you out of your mind? Because I think those are the kinds of prayers that God honors. These big, bold prayers. God, would you just, would you be with this person this very specific way? Would you show up in this, in this, in this huge way towards these people? God, would you, would you help us get through whatever we're going through? Would you help us do this? Would you help us do this? God, when was the last time we can explain anything away apart from God? If there, is, if there is nothing in your life that you can't explain anything away about except for that had to be a God thing, then I think we need to step up the boldness in our prayers because God will answer these prayers. It's not God be with me as I. God bless me as I do this that I'm pretty sure you're calling me to do. But God, would you just would you go ahead of me and would you do some just amazing things so that, that you might get the glory? When was the last time you were shamelessly audacious in your prayers? And... If you don't remember one, maybe today's a good day to start. Maybe today's a good day to start. Let's pray.